This is the Asian Madness Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things true crime, morbid, mysterious, and odd from the Asian continent. I am your host, Jessica. Hello and welcome to another episode from the Asian Madness Podcast. I'm honestly still getting used to the whole 2022 thing, but that's usually how it goes. Takes me like a couple months to get used to the new year, then I spend the rest of the year wondering where the time went. Anyway, this is episode 80, meaning another round of weird, creepy tales from the Asian continent. Many of you have expressed to me that you find these segments very enjoyable. And I admit, I feel the same. I love scary stories, horror movies, you name it. At the same time, though, it's hard to feel scared anymore. I think I've built up my tolerance so I no longer find things scary anymore, which is a downer because the thrill is no longer there. But why are some of us so drawn to hearing and watching scary things? Why do we like scaring ourselves? Why do we enjoy that sense of fear? Some say it's the comfort of knowing it's not about you, and if the situation is far from your reality, it actually helps you feel safer. Some say it's a sense of satisfaction, of pushing yourself through an intense few hours while you're so close to discomfort, but after it's done, you feel a sense of accomplishment, like you survived. You basically earned bragging rights in your friend group, With that said, let's continue on to today's episode. Once again, you will hear five urban legends from different parts of the Asian continent. Fact or fiction, or a mix of both, you decide. Let's begin. For our first tale, I would like to take you all to Vietnam, where a very famous tale exists about a young woman. There are two versions of this tale, one that's kind of creepy, the other one, not so much. I realize lots of urban legends and scary things involve women, especially women dressed in white with long, dark hair. Somehow, a ghost with blonde hair and a pink dress doesn't seem too scary, which then makes me wonder, is it really creepier when they're wearing white with dark hair? Or are we just conditioned to think that way because of movies and stories, like The Ring? This tale takes us back to the 1930s to the city formerly known as Saigon, now known as Ho Chi Minh City. A Chinese immigrant by the name of Hui Bin Hua arrived in Saigon in the late 1800s with barely any money in his pocket. He came looking for better opportunities, hoping to make it big someday. It's a big dream for sure, but somehow he made it happen. Some say he found valuables while doing recycling and garbage sorting jobs, but the most credible version states that he found a job working at a pawn shop owned by a Frenchman. He was good at his job, his boss liked him, and he managed to build his wealth quite rapidly. At the height of his financial wealth, he was mostly known for running pawn shops, 
and doing real estate work with the help of his three sons. They also managed to build various buildings around Saigon, and they generally are known as Uncle Hua's mansion. Today, these buildings include the Ho Chi Minh City Fine Arts Museum, the Majestic Hotel, and a maternity hospital. Mr. Hua had three sons, and he also had a daughter, whom he supposedly treasured above all else. But one day, people suddenly realize that it's been days since they've seen the young woman. Where did she go? Did she leave Vietnam to go study abroad like her siblings? People began to wonder, but soon those rumors were put to a stop. The Hua family explained that their daughter had gotten sick and had passed away suddenly. During the 1920s, people in the city began to get hit by leprosy, and many of them suffered horribly and eventually ended up dead. Apparently, this is what happened to Hua's daughter. She was sick, her appearance had been greatly altered due to the disease, so the family thought it was best to keep her locked away under quarantine instead of having her roam around freely. The only time she would come in contact with people was when the maid came to deliver her meals, which was basically passed through a doggy door. Although it is not considered super contagious, it was back in the olden days, so maybe people weren't aware of how it was contracted. Either way, it was a good idea to keep her separated from everyone else. Good idea for most people, yes, but the daughter had a difficult time coping. Not only was she basically under house arrest, she was also having to face her sickness alone and see herself basically become disfigured. The more time she spent alone, the more unstable she became, and eventually she passed away alone. But it's not clear whether it was from her health deterioration or suicide. Mr. Hua was very saddened by this, and he simply couldn't bring himself to bury her just yet. He instead had someone make a coffin out of stone and put her body in it, where it sat in her bedroom. Creepy, but somewhat understandable. It is hard to let go sometimes. A year after her death, Mr. Hua wanted to do something special for her death anniversary. He asked one of the maids to prepare a plate of rice along with a white dress and a doll. This is a very typical way to remember and honor the dead, where you present them with their favorite items at their graves sort of like gifts for their afterlife. So the maid took these items, left them at the door, and continued on with her day. A while later, the maid came back to the room to take the items away, but to her surprise, she saw that the rice had actually been touched. Not just touched, but half of it was missing. They didn't own pets, so who could it have been? The maid was curious got down on her knees and lifted the doggy door a bit to check the room. To her horror, she saw the figure of a young girl in a white dress, sitting up in the coffin, holding the doll. She panicked, screamed, and ran down the hall to tell Mr. Hua what she had seen. While some people might think it's a good idea to check the situation out, Mr. Hua knew this was not something good. He didn't believe his daughter was back from the dead. He instead made the hard choice of taking the stone coffin out of the room and cremating his daughter's remains. Was the maid simply mistaken and saw something that wasn't there? Or was it something more? Other people who visited the Hua mansion allegedly witnessed some strange figure in white roaming the halls, 
but the figure would always disappear before anyone tried to get a better look. The other version of the story does not mention the daughter at all. Mr. Hua is a real person, and his legacy is 100% real, historically speaking. But the timeline of this version takes place in the late 1800s, and it was never mentioned whether or not he had a daughter, let alone if she died or not. Maybe it was not something they wanted to talk about, something they didn't want to pass down as history. So, fact or fiction, or embellishment, you decide. For our second tale, let's take a look at one of the most common methods of transportation in the Philippines. That's right, jeepneys. If you're unfamiliar with these things, they're basically tiny buses, usually very colorful with cool decorations, and they tend to have a lot of Filipino culture and art on it. The doors usually open from the back, so passengers get on and off from that one door. These became popular in the Philippines after World War II, when U.S. soldiers left thousands of these jeeps behind. Instead of letting them go to waste, they became a method of public transportation. I myself have never ridden on one. I was quite fascinated by them. From the outside, they looked really flashy, and in my head, I simply prefer to refer to them as a party bus. But in this tale, this jeepney ride was far from a party. According to this story, a young university student was on her way home after spending a long day at school. It was close to midnight, and since jeepneys were still running in her area, she decided to save some money and get on a jeepney home instead of taking a taxi. She waited around and finally, a jeepney showed up. She got on and realized she was the only passenger. She didn't think too much of it, since it was quite late. Most people were probably home and in bed already. She settled in her seat, but something just wasn't right. She glanced at the driver and noticed that he kept looking back at her through the rearview mirror. As a young woman traveling alone at night, this can be very terrifying. She tried to stay calm, but she soon began panicking again when she realized that the driver began taking strange turns. As we know, public transportation usually has a fixed route, and it is uncommon for drivers to stray from their usual path. She feared the worst, wondering if the driver had ulterior motives. She wasn't even sure where the heck she was at anymore. If she jumped out and tried to escape, she could get hurt, and he could very well try and come after her. She decided against making any sudden movements, so she remained seated in the jeepney, waiting for this nightmare to come to an end. The driver made a sudden last turn, and to the girl's surprise, she recognized the street. They were somehow back on the original route. The jeepney continued on as if that weird detour never happened, and the girl, being scared and worried, was starting to relax a little. As the jeepney finally arrived at her stop, the driver turned around and spoke to her. He told her that he didn't mean to scare her, but he did what he had to. Seeing her confused, he explained that when he was driving, he noticed in the rearview mirror that there was a woman sitting next to her in the jeepney. But when he turned to check, she wasn't there. Just a university girl. And she was alone. The driver wasn't comfortable and knew that this was a bad omen. So he continued to drive and even tried going off course, hoping to lose the spirit that was making itself too comfortable in the jeepney. Once the ghostly passenger was finally gone, he returned to the normal route. 
The girl was understandably in shock and creeped out, and before leaving the jeepney, the driver demanded that she burn all her clothes as soon as she returned home, just to be safe. The spirit, entity, or ghost could still be with her, or trying to find her, so by burning her clothes, she could be free of this. The girl got home and did as she was told. Nothing out of the ordinary happened, and she was happy and relieved. But a few days after the incident, the girl turned on the news and found out that the driver who saved her life that night died a day after the strange incident. Coincidence? Did the ghost change targets? Or was the driver her target all along? In other variations of the story, the driver would see a headless woman sitting next to the university girl, and in another version, the university girl would appear to be headless from the rearview mirror, but normal otherwise. Either way, it's a tale of caution. Avoid dark and lonely roads at night. You never know what will come along and try to keep you company. Let's now move on to tale number three, where we will discuss a famous mythical creature from Japan. Have you ever heard of mysterious drownings or disappearances in bodies of water? Say, a calm lake or river. Have you ever felt the dread of being in a deep body of water, not knowing if there are mysterious creatures living in the water, looking for prey, and might just pull you underwater? A fisherman by the name of Shirozaki was passing by a local pier in Nagasaki Prefecture, Japan, late in the evening on August of 1984. He had just finished work for the day, and suddenly from a distance, he saw a group of children playing in the pier. This was a common fishing spot, but he definitely found it strange for kids to be playing in the river, and especially this late at night. They seemed to be doing okay, but he wasn't sure this was safe, so he slowly approached a group of kids and began to call out to them. As he got closer, he realized these group of kids looked somewhat odd. First of all, he noticed that their skin seemed to shine and glisten under the moonlight, which was a bit strange. Next, he noticed that their faces seemed a bit tanned. Not the typical tan you see on people who've been under the sun, but an odd color. He also began to notice how their limbs were long and thin, almost noodle-like, but too late. He had already made his presence known, and a group of so-called children looked at him in surprise and immediately disappeared under the water. Shirozaki was quite puzzled and didn't know what to make of it, and since it was already a spooky incident, he decided to head on home and investigate the following day. He returned the next day and checked the location where the kids were seen playing. He discovered what looked like wet, slimy footprints by the pier, and although it was shaped like a human-sized foot, it was a bit too big for them to belong to children. He also noticed that the trail went on for about 20-some meters, eventually disappearing into the water. News of the strange sighting began to spread around town, and before long, the police were called to look into the strange, slimy substance. For all they knew, it could be toxic, so it was best to check in with the local authorities before dismissing it. Police supposedly arrived at the scene, took some samples, but nothing ever came of it. The sample was said to have been found inconclusive. So the question remains, were those really kids he saw playing in the water, or was it something else? 
People came to the conclusion that these were not kids, and were in fact a type of amphibian mythical type creatures known as a kappa. They are described to be a mix of a turtle, a frog, and a human being. They're typically green, shaped like a human, have webbed hands and feet, and have this turtle shell-like thing on their backs. They also have a dish-like ring around their heads, which is used to retain water. And legend goes, if the water in their dish is spilled, or if the dish is damaged, the kappa is in weakened of its powers. Kind of sounds like a Pokemon. The word kappa can be translated as river child or river spirit. There are a ton of other names that can be used interchangeably, but kappa would be the most common one. Kappas, although amphibian, do a lot better in water than on land. They tend to not be too large in size, usually similar to the size of a child in grade school. Their limbs are also said to be extra long and flexible, so seeing one move around may give you a sense of what the word slimy really means. But don't be fooled by their thin noodle limbs, as they are supposedly very strong creatures with the ability of overpowering any human adult, especially when they're in water. So are these creatures good or evil? For one, they are known as mischievous, so their actions when it comes to humans mostly consist of harmless pranks, but it is also not uncommon for them to commit anything life-threatening. Pranks would include farting smelly farts, as they allegedly have three anuses and smell like fish, stealing people's food, and creeping up on people's windows. Many times when people drown or disappear while in water, though, they would blame the kappas for taking their lives. They are rumored to commit atrocities such as kidnapping children, pulling people underwater in order to drown them, and even eating humans. The most horrifying description I've seen of what harm a kappa can do is when, quote, the kappa sticks his elongated arm up your butt, up through your insides, and grabs hold of your tongue. Then the kappa pulls your tongue out through your butt, turning your body inside out, unquote. As if that image isn't weird and gross enough, the kappa is then said to feast on your organs. A good question is how do kappas get so close to one's butt? Back in the olden days, it wasn't unusual for people to bathe or go to the bathroom in rivers and lakes. When a person begins to squat and show vulnerability, the kappa then takes advantage of the situation and goes for the kill. Nowadays though, we have indoor plumbing, so there's less to worry about. But kappas are now said to dwell in sewers and even in your bathroom pipes. This is the equivalent of fearing a snake or a rat may jump out from the toilet bowl and bite you on the butt. Either way, you may want to take some precaution when going swimming in open waters next time. And also, always remember to check the toilet before you sit down and remember to flush afterwards. Next up, let's take a look at a very creepy tradition in Taiwan. I only heard about this via a friend as this tradition is not something I've ever witnessed, and it is also very location-specific. Before I begin, though, we have to talk about the special kind of food in traditional Chinese and Taiwanese cuisine. In Mandarin, it's called zong, and when you translate that, it is something along the lines of meat-rice-wrapped dumplings. The concept is very similar to tamales, but the ingredients are a bit different. 
It's essentially gluttonous rice mixed with mushroom, meat, peanuts, and other ingredients, then wrapped up in some type of leaves and tied up with a string. In the end, you have a pyramid-looking rice wrap dangling from a string. Size-wise, it's usually about the same as an adult fist. With that in mind, there's a tradition in Taiwan called song rou zong, which pretty much translates to sending rice wrap dumplings. This is a funeral rite, where if someone were to commit suicide by hanging, a whole procedure would have to take place to ensure that the deceased is sent off in a peaceful manner, and since people generally believe those who hang themselves were possessed either by spirits or negative energy, then it is imperative to get rid of said spirit so it doesn't go after others. It is believed that since the rice-wrapped dumpling is tied with strings and usually hung up by their strings, it strongly resembles a person hanging from their neck. This ritual and tradition is very well known in the county of Zhanghua, around the middle of Taiwan, and since I don't have ties to that place, I had no way of knowing that this even existed. Now that you have a basic idea of what this food is, let's move on to the creepy tale surrounding this ritual. As I've mentioned, this is something specific to those who commit suicide by hanging. It is believed that those who do choose to take their lives are often plagued by sadness and anger right up to the moment they die. So their last breath, or their soul, is usually filled with negative energy, even murderers or vengeful. To have this sort of energy lying and roaming around freely doesn't really sit well with the locals, because for all they know, it could cause further disturbances and even more deaths. As for the process itself, once a person dies by hanging, the family and locals will hire a traditional priest. They will pick a night that is best suitable for these rites, and once it is chosen, every single local in the area will be notified because it is important that they do not step outside or even look at them while the funeral rites are in progress. On the evening of the rite, the priest will then walk with lots of others, including family members and professional rites performers, carrying items of the deceased, including the rope they used to hang themselves with, the clothing they had on the day they died, and even the piece of furniture they used to hang themselves on. This huge group would then begin by traveling from where the hanging took place to the nearest body of water, usually the pier or perhaps a river. It is believed that by taking the spirit along the streets to the water, their vengeful energy is then released into the waters, which completes the ceremony. I'm aware that all this sounds a bit superstitious and maybe even hard to understand, so let me give you a story related to this rite. In 2021, a story began to circulate online about this rite that ended up going wrong. A person in town had taken their own life by hanging, and when the news hit the media, everyone was prepared for a funeral rite involving everything and everyone I mentioned earlier. Those who happened to have shops or lived along the route from the place of suicide to the pier had to close down early and stay indoors. They were not allowed to peek outside or try to engage with anyone involved in the funeral rites. A local high school boy, though, was quite unfazed with the situation. I get it. The younger generation is definitely less superstitious, and being a teenager, they are definitely a lot less cautious and more reckless. Despite the boy's parents reminding him multiple times to keep to himself on the evening of the funeral, 
he continued to scoff at the idea that anything bad would happen. He obeyed the minimum command to stay home, but curiosity got the best of him. As the funeral rite was in progress, he simply couldn't help himself. He heard all the traditional music and mourners crying as they approached his house, and being the clueless teenager that he is, he flung open his window curtains and opened his bedroom window. He looked down and felt a strange cold breeze, and despite getting a bit weirded out, he didn't think it was anything odd. What he wasn't prepared for were the series of strange dreams he would start having. He wasn't sure what to make of it, so he went to his friends and parents and told them that in his dreams, he would constantly hear someone whispering in his ear, explaining to him how to tie a noose and whatnot. The boy's parents were skeptical, despite being superstitious themselves. They brushed it off as teenagers being teenagers, making things up to get attention. These dreams went on for an entire week, and the boy was not getting quality sleep. A couple days later, while the parents were chilling in their living room, they suddenly heard a loud noise coming from the boy's room. They got up immediately to go check, but found that the door was locked from the inside. They quickly found the key to the door, and to their horror, they found their son hanging from the ceiling. They quickly cut the rope down and checked their son to see if he was okay. He apparently hadn't been on the news for long, so he came to quite quickly. When asked what the hell he was doing, he said he couldn't explain it. Throughout the entire previous week, he had just been plagued with visions and ideas of hanging himself. He felt the urge to go by a rope, and he would even hear something whispering in his ear, telling him, Time's up. It's your turn now. Everyone who heard this was horrified, and the parents felt immensely guilty for dismissing their son's concerns. The family immediately called up a priest to perform an exorcism rite, and after that, things went back to normal. The weird dreams and the whisperings all stopped. How does this make you feel? I've mentioned before, although a lot of people are no longer superstitious, some still prefer to be cautious, because truth is, you cannot prove the existence or non-existence of anything beyond yourselves. Despite how crazy something may sound, would it hurt you to follow proper etiquette? Probably not. But would it come back and hurt you if you hadn't followed? Who knows? Sometimes we find out the hard way, and sometimes you'll never have to find out. The choice is yours. For the last urban legend, I'd like to talk about something more recent, an internet urban tale that seemed to have originated from Russia. In the age of Instagram and TikTok, we constantly see teenagers or even adults go through lengths to do certain challenges. Some are completely harmless and even kind of cute, but some others, not so much. A specific type of challenge seemed to grab people's attention sometime in 2015 and 2016, and this challenge was called the Blue Whale Challenge. How it originated is debatable, and pretty much a mystery, but the earliest sign of it was in late 2015, when a Russian teenager, 
Rina Palenkova, killed herself. There wasn't much information regarding this teenager's death, but it started conversations, and online groups began forming on a Russian social media platform about various suicides mixed with embellishment, almost turning suicides of teens into this whole mysterious phenomenon. A month later, two other Russian teenagers from the same town also killed themselves for reasons unknown, and when the parents and authorities looked at their internet history, hoping to get a clue as to why they would do this, they realized both teens were participating in similar online groups. These groups would often discuss typical teenager things, and one thing that stood out was suicide. A blue whale was often depicted in images as well. This eventually led to the rise of the so-called blue whale challenge. This is basically where the end game results in suicide. First of all, you have two parties, the administrator and the participant. The administrator would come up with 50 different challenges for the participant, one challenge per day. The challenges start with something very minor and harmless such as eat a cake or go to a park, but will eventually progress to rather dangerous and sinister challenges, such as self-harm. The final challenge? Kill yourself. For a time, everyone believed this challenge was real, and that teens from various places were participating in this challenge which certainly brought on a lot of concern. It was surmised that the term blue whale challenge came from the concept that whales have a strange tendency to beach themselves. And if you've heard of the term beached whales, it refers to a whale that is dead on the beach. Not saying whales are committing suicide, but it's a theory as to how the name came about. As months went on, people began to link the suicides of various teenagers around the world to this so-called blue whale challenge. Many of the deceased teenagers were said to have been found with something related to a whale right after or before their deaths. One teenager had drawn a portrait of a large blue whale for school right before her suicide, and another teenager had posted an image of a blue whale on her Instagram right before she took her own life. Was all this just a coincidence? Or was there more to it? Russian reporters and authorities looked into this, and in the end stated that there were possibly 150 to 200 cases of teen suicide related to this game. But again, nobody knows for sure. People did question whether or not this game was real, or if it was just a bunch of teenagers trying to find ways to explain away all the suicides, adding fictional links and trying to make it look more ominous than it really is. One 21-year-old man did end up getting arrested and charged for encouraging teenagers to commit suicide. He admitted to wanting to cleanse the world of waste, and by waste, he meant people. I don't know who died and gave him permission to become judge and executioner of teenagers. He did end up admitting to his part, and was even sentenced to three years in prison. But wait, how many people could one man possibly persuade? People continued to look into the Blue Whale Challenge, attempting to trace it back to its origins and find those who might be involved in it, whether as administrator or participant. They found out that these so-called administrators were not dangerous pedophiles or mentally ill adults manipulating children. They were, in fact, children ranging from 12 to 14 years of age. These children were drawn to the idea of the Blue Whale Challenge but it did not seem as if these children actually carried anything out. 
They posed as administrators, luring people to join the challenge, but never managed to carry anything out. If that were the case, then were all these suicides just random, and nothing really tied them together? Were any of these deaths related to this game at all? The internet is a big, scary place full of possibilities. The best part is the ability to stay rather anonymous. Sometimes that can be used for kindness, but many times the anonymity helps people carry out the unthinkable. Whether or not this challenge is real, or if anyone did fall into the hands of this so-called administrator, don't believe everything you see on the internet. Think twice before you decide to follow an online trend or challenge. The truth is. No one will step up and take responsibility for anything bad that can happen to you. So whether this blue whale challenge is fact or fiction, or something in between, you decide. So there you have it: five more tales from the Asian continent that can be either spooky, weird, or plain ridiculous. Again, some are wild and funny sounding; some others a bit more realistic. But always remember to take things with a grain of salt. Again, I'm not a very superstitious person, but I cannot help but be cautious. There probably isn't any harm in being careful, but just in case ghosts do exist, it's best not to anger them. If you ever come across something weird or cultural, please reach out to me and let me know via email. I would love to add that to my next episode of Tales. With that said, please stay safe, away from weird bodies of water. And remember to respect and listen to people who tell you how to stay safe from spirits. Curiosity is great, but remember, it can also kill, and sometimes that satisfaction may not be great enough to bring you back. Stay safe, be kind. Till next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Asian Madness podcast. If you enjoyed my content, please rate and review me on iTunes. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or email me at asianmadnesspod at gmail dot com.